0: We began this series with a three-week sort of deep dive into the subject of the fear of the Lord. And the reason why we did that is because in the book of Proverbs, it tells us this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So this whole idea of wisdom, it really starts with learning what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. And we describe the fear of the Lord as being like a, a coin that has two sides. And on the one side, you have the Lord's majesty and righteousness and justice and, and holiness. And on the other side, you have his love and his mercy and his grace. But it's all the one coin. It's all the same person. And it's the Lord, his, his person, his attributes being culminated in, in all of those things coming together. And last week, Pastor Tyler um, ended his message by reminding us of this very important truth that the fear of the Lord really culminates in the person of Jesus, And he brought us there to John chapter one, verse 14, where we're told, speaking of Jesus and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. That the embodiment of who God is is really seen in the person of Jesus. And as the fear of the Lord is seen in the idea that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Or full of justice and mercy. That it was this perfect blending. And we see that the most clear at the cross. Where there on the cross we see Jesus dying in our place. Justice being served as he's taking the punishment that all of us deserved, but we also see the love and mercy and grace of God as he's giving his son for us so that we could be saved. So that we could know him, so that we could live in relationship with him. And we see in that that picture of the cross this, this amazing blending or this amazing picture of the fear of the Lord. The aspect of who God is coming together as Jesus is dying there in our place. Well today we're in Proverbs chapter 3. As we're moving forward, I'm going to share with you a passage that you're well, very familiar with. In fact, you probably could recite this verse that we're going to read, these verses, but I, I'm hoping today that you might see this from a, maybe a, a little bit more, a, a fresh perspective, maybe a clearer perspective of what this means for us to walk in wisdom. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, we read, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Let's ask the Lord one more time to bless our time in the word. Father, we come before you today, and we ask today that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak to us, that you'd give us insight and understanding of of what it means for us to live with a posture of faith as we trust you in every area of our lives. And so we give you this time today in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message today is The Posture of Faith, and I think that will become very clear as we make our way through and unpack this passage. Let's begin with this word trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, the, the writer of Proverbs says. The word trust in the Hebrew is the word batak. And in this word, this Hebrew word means to lie helpless face down. In other words, it's a posture of being totally yielded and vulnerable to and dependent upon God, lying face down before him. Now, as I I read and thought about this definition, I I couldn't help but remember a few times when, when I was younger going to the lake with some friends and they had a, a ski boat and we're, you know, skiing behind it. But they also had those big inner tubes that, that you lay face down on and you hold on to the, the rails and, and they're pulling you behind the boat. And, and I thought that's a, a picture here, you know, being vulnerable, lying helpless, face down. Because when you're on that inner tube, you are completely at the mercy of the guy who's driving the boats. And I have to tell you, I had some friends that were proven to be untrustworthy. Because as I'm lying on the tube and they're pulling me, they're going faster and faster and faster. And their goal was, let's see how far we can launch Rob. You know, that was their mindset. And you know, if you've ever skied or been pulled behind a boat in that way, you know that you have hand signals and thumbs down means you're going too fast. Slow it down. Thumbs up means, hey, I need some more speed. So I'm on the boat and they're going faster and faster and I'm doing the thumbs down and they keep going faster and faster faster and then they make this sharp turn and I go flying off into the water or worse yet the time when they hit the wake and I'm just launched I mean it's like the Olympics I'm doing flips you know and landing in the water and I come up and my buddies in the boat are laughing and high-fiving one another like that was awesome because their goal was to see how far they could launch me My friends were proven to be be untrustworthy. But you know, the Lord never does that. He's never like that. The Lord is not, hey, let's see how uncomfortable we can make Rob today. And as I'm being made uncomfortable, it's not like Jesus and the angels in heaven are high-fiving one another and going, that was awesome. No, that's not his heart at all. He wants us to know that he is trustworthy. But the Lord will allow us at times to be shaken outside of our comfort zones because he knows that's necessary for our growth. But he's not doing it to get a laugh out of us, but he's allowing it to help us grow and help us mature and help us to know how to flex our muscles, how to build up our muscles. So this idea of to trust the Lord with all of your heart is to lay face down, yielded to God, believing that he has a plan, believing that he knows what he is doing. That's the posture of faith. But he continues... He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In other words, it's saying to the Lord, Father, I know that I'm trusting you and and I don't need to know how the story goes. I don't need to know all the steps. I don't need to, to have from, you know, point A to point Z laid all before me. I'm trusting you. But that's hard for us, isn't it? Come on, if we're honest, a lot of us, we, we like to know what God's doing. We, we, we like to lean on our own understanding. We're able to trust a lot better when we know what God is doing. But oftentimes, he doesn't work that way. God just says, hey, I want you to trust me. I want you to actually enjoy the journey. And I want you to trust me for the right outcome. I want you to trust that I have your best interest at heart. So we're not the guy face down on the inner tube hanging on for dear life because we don't know what our God is going to do. No, no, that's not that's not the picture. I think a better picture would be what happens when you're going into surgery. You're laying fa- you're laying down on the table and you're trusting that a doctor knows what he's doing. How many of you have had surgery before? Okay? So you've gone in, and I've had two hip surgeries on my right hip. I'm having a third one on my left hip, hip replacement in September. And it's interesting when you have what they call, you know, these are elective surgeries, so having a hip replacement is elective. It's like, here, here's the, you have a choice. You can live the rest of your life in pain, or you can have a hip replacement. And so I'm like, I'd rather have a hip replacement, and so I'm, I'm doing that. But they always say this when you're having an elective surgery. They say, we have to tell you this. It's rare, but sometimes, you know, in a surgery like this, people can die. Are you okay with that? I'm always like, well, I guess, but can you define rare? Like this rarely happens. You know, what are we talking about? Two out of 10 or two out of a million? You know, what do you, what do you mean by that? But they always give you that that little speech. It's interesting. This summer, my wife and I have been watching this hospital show. And in this hospital show, they, they've been having these like, you know, they show these crazy surgeries that are going on and they're peeling these people open on one, you know, they're, they're doing something, you know, with some of the joints and they break out this hammer and they're, you know, hammering. And my wife's going like, babe, that's what they're going to be doing to you, you know? <laughs> Look how hard they're pounding. You know? Look how big that drill is, you know? And I'm, and I'm like thinking to myself, like, why am I watching this? And there's been some of them, and it's all fictional, but, it, but it, there's been some where the patients have actually died from a minor surgery because of some mistake. They clipped an artery or something, and they, they bled out, and there's literally been times where I've been thinking to myself, like, you know, I think we should be watching, and this is a month away from my surgery, I think maybe we should be watching like a Hallmark movie, you know? <laughs> And if you've been around here a long time, you know how much I don't like Hallmark movies. You know, my wife loves them, but, you know, everybody's always happy. No one ever dies. There's always a happy ending. And I'm thinking, that might be a little bit better at this moment, you know, going into this. But, you know, think about a surgery. This is what you're saying. You're saying, Doc, I'm lying down trusting you with all of my heart. Now, I know some people going into surgery... They like to watch YouTube videos of the surgery that they're going to have. Like, they want to know all the details. Personally, I don't get that at all. I just want to be put to sleep and I want to wake up and be better, <laughs> you know, when it's over. I don't need to know everything that's going on. That's the idea of I'm trusting. And I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I don't need to know all the details. All I need to know is that when this is over, I'm going to be better. Because I'm trusting. I'm resting in the fact. I'm resting in this doctor's credentials. I'm resting in his experience. That he's done hundreds, if not thousands, of these surgeries, and I'm resting. Hey, this guy knows what he's doing. Now, if I show up on my surgery date and my doctor is not there, and they told him you know, and, and they, they tell me he's sick, and so this guy's doing my surgery, and I ask this guy, so how many of those have you done? And he says, This is my first one, and I'm really excited. Guess what? I'm not having my surgery that day. I'm just telling you right away. That's not happening. But no, we're trusting in the credentials. Well, in a similar way, God says, trust in me with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And we're trusting in a God who has credentials. And his credentials are laid out in this book that we hold in our hands and dear to our heart where we have a history of over thousands of years of him working faithfully and working in a good way in the life of his people. We have the experience of of his faithfulness laid out for us in Scripture, laid out for us in our own lives and in the lives of others, that his credentials are solid. And he's saying, hey, I want you to trust me with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. You, you You don't need to figure everything out. And so it's this picture of being completely at rest in the Lord. It's saying to the Lord, God, I may not understand what you're doing, but I believe that you know what you're doing. And I know that you are good, and that you are faithful, and you are gracious, and I believe that you have my best interest at heart. And so I'm going to completely rest in the reality that I believe my God has got this that's a picture of trusting in him with all your heart not leaning on your own understanding now here's the opposite of that i mentioned to you a couple weeks ago that my wife and i have been married for 35 years and there's one area in our married life where my my wife does not trust me it's a major point of contention in our relationship and it's my driving. She hates to drive with me. In fact, she says in our 35 years of driving that she has saved me from a ton of accidents. But when we go somewhere, I usually drive because quite frankly, I don't like the way she drives either, okay? So I usually drive, but when we're driving, my wife is never relaxed. And if she's paying attention, she's constantly making sounds like, (gasps) you know, (laughs) she's constantly just, you know, jerking and this type of thing. And it drives me crazy. And so in order to not do that, she will either go to sleep and when she goes to sleep, she's not trusting in me. She's trusting in God. <laughs> My life is in his hands because I know Rob might kill us, you know, or she'll distract herself by being on her phone. But if she's paying attention, she's making noises. She's saying, watch out. You're going too fast. You're getting too close. You're in the wrong lane. You should have, you should have turned there. And you know what? A lot of us, we do the same thing with God. We're like, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, you're in the wrong lane. Lord, you're not doing this right. Lord, you're too close. Lord, you're going the wrong way. Lord, you don't know what you're doing right now. And we are the ultimate spiritual backseat drivers. And God is saying, can you just relax Can you just take a chill pill? Can you just relax and trust me and lie down and be at rest in knowing that, hey, I'm going to get you to the destination. I'm going to get you where you need to go. I'm working in your life and you don't need to know all of the details. So to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding is, is to lie down, to be at rest with God. But this is interesting because to trust Him in that way can seem to some who are watching us as being reckless. Maybe even being irresponsible. But I'll tell you this. There are so many things in my life that I would have missed out on had I leaned on my own understanding. In fact, I can probably say this with absolute certainty. I probably would not be your pastor. I would not even be here today had I leaned on my own understanding. See, when I was in college, I was working at a grocery store. And I had advanced very quickly in this store. They were talking about um, having me go into management. They saw that I had a, a real future in that business. But I knew that God had called me into full-time ministry. So I was just waiting for God to open up a door. I was waiting for him to, to lead and show me, you know, what he was doing and what, what the next step was going to be in my life. And I was serving in ministry, volunteering at Calvary Costa Mesa, but it was there while I was in college, working at the grocery store, that I got a call to come on staff here at Calvary Vista, to come and be a youth pastor, to be the first youth pastor that the church had. And and I accepted this position. It was the door that I was waiting for God to open up. And my salary was I was going to make $700 a month, and my rent was going to be 4 and a quarter. Now, you do the math. That's not a lot to live on. And the people that I was working with, when they asked me, well, you know, what are you doing? And you're going to go work at a church? And how much are they going to? They didn't understand that. They thought that just seemed reckless and irresponsible. They, they thought it was crazy. How are you going to survive? But God was calling me. And God was saying, trust me. And so I jumped in. I was like all in, no turning back, trusting in the Lord. And I can absolutely say this, that God has absolutely, in an incredible way, he's blown my mind with what he's done and how he's used my life over all of these years. That was back in 1985 when it all started. Or the time when I was pastoring up in Oregon and I was um, asked to go and speak at a conference for the churches in Yugoslavia. And it was going to be in in Yugoslavia, what, what, what used to be then Yugoslavia. But the problem was this conference was happening during a time when the country was in civil war. And the American embassy had closed. They were telling all the Americans to get out of the country. And I'm being asked to come in, to go. And the reason was, is when I was here at this church, we had planted some churches in Yugoslavia and in Hungary. And so they were seeking to bring the churches together in Yugoslavia to do this conference. And they wanted me to come and speak at it. So I had a decision to make. And so I asked my wife to pray and our leadership team to pray. And they're all praying. And my wife who never likes it when I go anywhere, especially back then when our kids were younger, she says, I think you're supposed to go. I literally thought for a moment, I think she doesn't want me to come back. (laughs) But my wife is saying, I want you to go. Our leadership is saying, I want you to go. And to some people, it just didn't make any sense whatsoever. But I got on a plane and I went. And I can honestly say, I've been to like, 23 or 24 different countries now doing mission work. And I've done, I've been hundreds of trips. That was the best, most amazing trip I've ever been on. God did so many miracles, opened so many doors. It was absolutely incredible. We had to drive from the airport across the whole country that is war-torn, and God is just opening up one door after another. He's bringing all the churches together in this one particular city because they wanted them to have kind of a sense of retreat, like we're all gonna come here, and people in that city were meeting in this hotel room. The windows are open. They hear the music, and they they start coming to our meetings, people in the city, they're getting saved and a church gets planted in that city by accident. I mean, it was just incredible. It was just an amazing, amazing time. But had I leaned on my own understanding, I would have missed out on that. Now, just to be fair, I have to say there have been plenty of times in my life where I did exactly that. I leaned on my own understanding. I didn't trust the Lord. I worried and fretted all the way through something. And I got to tell you, you know, that's a lousy way to live, isn't it? So frustrating. So unrestful. So exhausting. It's the opposite of the adventure that I think the Lord wants us to experience in trusting him. And when we live in that type of way where we're all about just leaning on our own understanding, we miss out. So he tells us here, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. It's it's the idea, "I'm I'm laying down before you. I'm resting you. I'm completely surrendered and yielded. That's the posture of faith. But notice how he continues. He says, and in all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, this is the part of the proverb that I think we most often misunderstand you see when we think of the word acknowledge we think of letting somebody know our plans sort of like an fyi so we give the lord an fyi lord fyi i'm starting a new business and i want you to bless it or lord fyi i'm getting ready to ask so-and-so to marry me would would you help her to see say yes or, Lord, FYI, we're, we're taking this step in this ministry venture, and God, would you go before us? And we give him this FYI. For your information, Lord, this is what my plans are. That's often the way that we approach this idea of, in all our ways, acknowledge him. We give him an FYI. Or better yet, we say, Lord, I'm acknowledging that I can't do this without you, so would you please help me? And that's better than just giving him an FYI. But neither is what this verse is talking about. Neither one is what that word acknowledge means. You see, the word acknowledge in the Hebrew is the word Yadeh, And it's a word that means to know to perceive, to see, to find out, and to discern. So to translate it, we could say this, when he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, and then this, this is how it would be translated. In all your ways, seek to know, and to perceive, and to see, and to find out, and to discern the Lord's heart on this matter. Now, when you look at it in that way, that that, that puts this verse in a whole new light. I'm simply not making the Lord aware of my plans. I'm seeking to know his heart in that situation. And this is why we spent three weeks talking about the fear of the Lord. Three weeks considering the the character and attributes and nature of God because in order for us to really walk in wisdom and follow Jesus, we gotta know him. We need to know his heart. We need to know the way that he functions. We need to know his will. We need to, to know, you know what is on his mind. And so because of that, prayer is going to be a big part of this process. If, we, if we're gonna know him, in all your ways, know him. It's it's we, we're coming to that place in prayer, of saying, Lord, I, I need to know your heart on this matter. I need to know your heart on this situation. Lord, I don't want to lean on my own understanding. So I need to find a way to quiet my heart so that I can hear your still small voice. Remember Elijah? Elijah's running from Queen Jezebel. He finds himself up up in the mountains. And it's there that the Lord comes and speaks to Elijah in what we're told is a still, small voice. Speaks to his heart. But what's interesting is before that, it says that there was an earthquake on the mountain. The mountain shook, but it says the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then it says, and there was a mighty rushing wind. So everything's swirling. It's like chaotic around him. But it says, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then there was a fire where everything is just ablaze. The heat is on, we could say. It's intense. But then it says, but the Lord wasn't in the fire either. And then it says, the Lord came to Elijah and spoke to him in a still, small voice. And sometimes... We need to just get away to the point where we can hear. Quiet, get away from all the noise so that we can hear and discern that still small voice. Because oftentimes we get confused by the earthquakes, by the life-altering things that happen, and, and our world is getting shook or things are chaotic around us, and it just seems messy, or the heat is on, and we think, you know, what is God doing? And he's not in any of that. That's just life, my friends. Things get shaken, and things are chaotic, and things can be messy, and things can get intense. That, that's life. That's living life in this fallen world, surrounded by sinners and being a sinner ourselves. That's what what happens with this life. And oftentimes, God's not in any of that, but he wants us to get to that place where we can pull aside so we can hear and discern and know his heart. And it's going to come to us in the time of prayer in that still, small voice. It's like Peter in Acts chapter 10. It's lunchtime. And at lunchtime in, in the Hebrew world, in the Israeli world, it's busy. They're in the house. They're getting. They're making lunch. There's a lot of hustle and bustle going on. But what does Peter do? He gets out of the kitchen. He gets out of the house. And he goes up on a rooftop patio. Because in those days, that's what they would do. They had these rooftop patios. And he's up there away by himself in a place where he can have a quiet time and a quiet heart in a quiet place. And it's there he has a vision and the Lord reveals to him, I'm going to send you to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But it happens in that place of prayer. It happens in that place where he's quieting himself. For me, oftentimes that can just be a morning walk around my neighborhood or an evening walk down at the beach just getting away or, or getting out in the harbor on my paddle board and just very early in the morning and I'm just paddling before work and it's quiet and I'm just quieting my heart, quieting my mind and God's just speaking to me. But we need to be able to get to places, guys, where we pull away from all the noise and all the hustle and bustle and all the chaos that is going around on around us so we can hear the voice of the Lord. So prayer going to be a big part of this if we're going to seek to know him in all our ways, to know him and to know his heart, prayer is going to be a part of that. But also, meditating on the word is also going to be a big part of that. The two go hand in hand. The psalmist said this in Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, in other words, he's removing himself from all of that, from the normal day-to-day stuff of the voices that are stuffed into our head from the culture around us. He's not listening to that. He's not sitting down and taking in that. No, this is what he's doing. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, in the word of God. In, and in his word, he meditates day and night. It's coming to that place where we're saying, Lord, concerning this situation, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to respond to my emotions, everything that's going on inside of me right now. No, I need to search the scriptures so that I can know your heart on this matter, so that I can know how you think about this situation. Lord, I want to know your heart as it relates to what's going on in the culture around me. Lord, I need to know your heart as it relates to this decision that I'm trying to make for my family. I'm going to seek to discern the situation from what I know to be true about who you are that's found in your word. And the psalmist said, the blessed man or the blessed woman is the one who's meditating, seeking to know the mind and heart of God by meditating upon the word day and night. You see, as you immerse yourself in the Bible story of a personal God who has made us, who redeemed us, who, who called us into relationship with him and who desires that within that relationship that our lives would bring forth and really shine for his glory. When you look at your life from that vantage point, it brings everything else into a different perspective. You see all your relationships differently. You see the way you spend your money differently. You see the, the way you spend your time differently differently. And wisdom grows as you live your life daily by allowing your life to be shaped by the biblical narrative, by divine realities that are are put forth for us in the Word of God. And here's the result. The psalmist says about that man or that woman that he or she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does, whatever she does shall prosper. And the word prosper means to advance and to succeed. So as I'm trusting in the Lord with all of my heart, Leaning not on my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm seeking to know Him by quieting my heart in prayer, by seeking His will and His heart, by meditating upon the Word of God. He says, you're going to prosper. You're going to be fruitful. Your life is going to be full. The way the the writer of Proverbs says it, as he says, and He shall, this is the promise, and He shall direct your Paths. The Christian Standard Bible puts it this way He shall make your paths straight. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You're all in, surrendered, yielded. God, I'm resting in your credentials. I'm resting in your faithfulness. I'm resting in your track record. I'm resting in your love. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I'm I'm seeking to know you, your heart, your will, your way. And he says, and I will direct you. I'm going to direct your paths. I'm going to make your paths straight. And that, my friends, is what we can call, that's a great description of the abundant life. In fact, Jesus gave us this definition of eternal life. And eternal life in the Jewish mindset is a little bit different from we often think of it. We often think of eternal life as meaning I'm going to live with God forever. And it does involve that, but the the Jewish mindset, they they believe that it wasn't exclusive to to just a longevity of life, but it represented a quality of life that starts right now in living in relationship with God. So here's how Jesus defined it in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is that quality of life that everyone is seeking after. It starts, it's wrapped up in knowing God by knowing Jesus. And the word he uses there for the word know in the Greek, it's the word gnosko, and it means to know him intimately, to know him in a relationship. And so eternal life is this quality of life where we're going through life and we're growing in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and his heart for us. And that comes through Spending time with him in prayer. That comes through meditating upon the word of God that we come to know and understand his heart and our life gets full. Our life gets rich. And suddenly the things that happen in life don't take us by surprise, but it becomes those things where we're like, okay, I know you and I know I can trust you. And so I know in the midst of this that you have a plan. That this isn't some crude joke that that you're trying to throw me off the tube so that you can have a laugh like my friends. No. It's God saying, I want you to be at rest and knowing that I have a plan. That I'm at work. I think, and I'll close with this, I think often I, I, I see it pictured in the child. And many of us we've experienced this. We've been the child and we've also been the parent. But it's the child on the edge of the pool. And his mom or dad or grandpa, like in my case with Josiah, is in the pool and we're saying, Jump. I've got you. Jump. This is gonna be fun. Now when I do this with Josiah I, I, I had to start off getting where I was like, like my, my hands are this far away from him. Like he's going to jump six inches, you know, because he was timid. Like, I don't know, poppy, you know, I don't know, you know, and then he jumped and he's like, wow, that was kind of fun. He jumped six inches and I sat back a little bit. Now maybe a foot and he jumps again. And each time he's getting more and more comfortable. Why? Because he's trusting. My poppy has got me. He's not going to let me go under. And pretty soon he's like launching himself into my arms. And he says this, more poppy, more. Let's do it again, you know, over and over because he's having fun. And God wants us to be in that place with him where we're trusting in that type of way. I mean, it is a picture, really, of kind of a reckless abandonment. If you didn't see the person in the pool and you saw the little kid, you'd think, what is he doing? But when you see the two together, it's like, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. His dad's gonna catch him. It's not reckless. He's having fun. And the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to know, man, I'm going to catch you. I'm going to get you to the other side. And even though there might be times where you get kind of stretched out of your comfort zone, it's only going to make you stronger and better and more useful. But I love you and I've got you and I want you to trust in me with all of your heart. That you would be all in, not leaning to your own understanding. Because in all our ways, we're learning to know him. And the more we get to know him, the more trustworthy we find that he is. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and true, that you are a good, good Father. And Lord, I pray right now for every single one of us in this room and everybody watching online that we would live within that posture of faith, trusting you with all of our hearts not leaning to our own understanding. And just with our head bowed, our eyes closed, in this posture of prayer right now, I think there's some of you right now that there's areas of your life where you are not doing that. You're the spiritual backseat driver right now with God. And God is saying, will you give that to me? That situation, that person, that opportunity, will you just rest? Will you just place that in my hands and rest in knowing that I'm at work, that I've got a plan? And I want to encourage you right now, just for those of you that that's speaking to, that whatever it is, that just quietly in your heart right now, that you would just say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm placing this in your care. Help me, Lord, to keep it there. I also want to speak to those here in the room and maybe those watching online that you haven't started yet where this all begins. And that's living in a relationship with Jesus. That's where we... The first step to getting to know Him is... Embracing what he did on the cross for us. The Bible says that in order for a man to be saved he has to call upon the Lord. He has to admit, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And maybe that's you. And if it is, I would encourage you today to call out to him. To give your heart to him. Ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you and to come into your life. And as you do that, he's going to forgive you. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to come into your life. He's going to meet you. And be, you're going to begin today this relationship of, of beginning to walk with him. And the more that you do, you're going to discover that he's a great God. And that he loves you. That he's got a plan for you that is so glorious. And so I encourage you today, open up your heart to Him. And Lord, I pray for all of us here (laughs) that we would rest in the reality of who you are. That we would know that our lives are in the best hands. And so Lord, I pray today that you would bless my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen.